Section 7 of Wildlife on a Norfolk Estuary by Arthur Henry Patterson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 4 Braden in Springtime. Part 1 A March Excursion. Tardy springtime comes to Braden full of caprice and with varying humours. One day you may push your punt afloat on an unrippled tide with insufficient breeze to belly your little lug sail, and an overcoat becomes burdensome with the lightest of oars. Twenty-four hours later may see the sky overcast with a dull grey curtain, and the cold northeaster, strengthening as the day wanes, reminds you of November. Rain, hail and snow come by turns, occasionally even until the merry month of May is with us. In April 1904, Braden put on a most uninviting aspect. Some of my notes for the month are as follow. April the 7th. This is Thursday. So far Easter week has been too rough for a trip on Braden. It is blowing from the nor-nor-west. Over the clear, raw, yellowish sky, broken and lumpy clouds are hastening. The water is like polished pewter, silver-white here and there. And in the channel, the blast freckles the ebb-tide with bars of white-edged waves, hissing strangely as they speed towards and break upon the flintstone wall. The gulls sit head to wind on the flats, looking by no means happy, and a bunch of dunlins, scattered to feed on the flat near the five-stake drain, seem equally depressed. April the 8th. First time I dared to go on Braden this week. Very poor tide. Saw six geese, also fifty or sixty widgeon and a flock of dunlins, many of them as yet grey and white as in winter. Probably they are the later hatched young of last year. Saw one grey plover and one oyster catcher. Jari, the Braden watcher, who sways his sceptre over the vast area of mudflats during the close season, brings up his houseboat at the close of February, and moors it by four stout guy ropes to four sturdy poles driven deeply into the mudflats, and to a stout chain cable and anchor, and he has need to, in a snug corner where a cross drain empties itself at the entrance of Duffel's larger drain. From here he commands a view up and down Braden. Usually his Noah's Ark is a cosy little place, and it is pleasant to sit on the settle by the far side opposite him and chat of Braden and its folklore, listening meanwhile to the hissing of eels in the fry pan and the wail of the wildfowl outside. It is not always so comfortable here when the north wind beats with fury upon the boat and the flood tide pushes up against it, nor when blow the keener northeast blasts, in whose breath 
drifts the twirling snowflakes for not with all jarry stoking and rolling among the blankets can the long night be made comfortable and day after day of chilling rainfall with seldom a kindred spirit to converse with makes the man's isolation as complete as if he were billeted in some lone lighthouse or were tossing in the night watchers on a floating light yet when the atmosphere is not blurred with sleet and drizzle he is within binocular range of his homestead out there beyond the marshes blowy weather makes braden look its wildest when the sky is murky and overcast the racing flood tide is muddy and troubled and the black hummocky clouds tumble up from the horizon and pass overhead in panoramic succession likely to be a rough night jarry i remarked as the punt's nose bumped against the side of the houseboat about time we had a change bought replied jarry clutching the painter and fastening it to the fender rope running round his craft a rattling shower came down as i stepped inside and hastily pulled to the half door of his cabin the flowing of the tide had ceased and before very long a stake outside easily seen from the cabin window and which serves jarry for a tide gauge began to show up above the surface of the water at intervals as the fretted waves broke choppily a laggard wherry or two passed upstream hoping to make borough before nightfall for the wind was favourable to them the breeze strengthened as the daylight waned and strings of great grey gulls passed upward while two or three wimbrel clamoured noisily as they changed their feeding quarters and called to their fellows across the flats noisy old birds them maybirds said jarry there's at least a couple of score of em hereabouts they seem to come here more numerously every spring glad to corroborate you i said turning over a fat eel in the pan and pitching in another lump of dripping look here said he hauling out a broken wing dead wimbrel from under a sack at the end of the settle i picked that up this morning against the south wall i'd like to have catched the fool as knocked that out i suppose someone had a shot at em on the marshes last night as they passed over and most likely jarry was right for i must acknowledge that as far as braden is concerned the local gunners who frequent the place in the open season have respect for the protection acts much as they object to them and it is a rare thing indeed to hear the report of a fowling piece except on the marshes from march to august when of course duck shooting breaks the long spell of gun rusting and worries the watcher into redoubled vigilance jarry is not disliked by the fraternity who although they may abominate his vocation respect him for his honesty of purpose some will frankly admit that 
if he didn't earn the money someone else might have to which is sound logic it was not unpleasant to feel the old boat rocking like a cradle and tugging now and again at her moorings and to listen to the waves lapping and gurgling around her but things began to be less erratic as the tide fell off the flats and the boat lowered herself by degrees as the water poured out of the drain the wind still hummed mournfully i rather liked it around the chimney and rattled the poles and gear lashed upon the roof outside from cupboard and frail and pan and saucepan came forth excellently fried eel cooked potato bread and table requisites and a right royal supper we made plain and homely substantial and sweet for which and a sharpened appetite we were duly thankful besides the eels we had a half score of dainty smelts and a few not despicable viviparous blennies that had been scooped in yesterday in jarry's drawnet up the duffel's drain pleasant chat and note comparison passed away a profitable hour and long before moon up two tired braideners lay and remained sound asleep on either settle until the rocking of the boat woke us early in the morning when the waves came rollicking over the submerged flats and lapped her into dancing once again in the watcher's ark the morning broke fairly fine and the rain had ceased so while jarry saw to the frying of some rashers of bacon and got the coffee on the way i stepped outside and had a look round with his glasses by this time the flat eastward of us had begun to show bare in places near the edges it is odd to me that the flats generally are slightly higher at their margins not infrequently have i essayed to quant my way across in shallow water on an ebb tide and managed easily till within a few yards of some tide-worn drain and then stuck within boat's length of it i have had to off boots and socks in a twinkling and shove right merrily for every minute is precious to a novice a little delay then may mean staying there some hours until the next tide comes up to help him those who navigate braden beyond its main channels never do so but with flat bottom punts there was a little brown spot a mere speck apparently of mud such as might have been heaved up by an oar thrust on the farthermost bit of naked flat it appeared to move the merest turn of a small head perhaps and then it was motionless as a stone hand us my glasses jarry that mud-like fragment at once resolves itself into a small wading bird and on my shouting and clapping my hands it lifts its head looks round wonderingly and finding nothing very threatening near at hand tucks its bill under its grey wing coverts and drops off 
in an instant into sounder sleep once more the curious way in which the keenest ornithologist may often be deceived by birds remaining perfectly still is a matter for remark so curiously do birds standing or sitting perfectly motionless deceive the eye and the mind together that the gunner is sometimes entirely off his guard and his would-be victims profit by it making good their escape i have a vivid recollection of a number of ringed plovers watching my movements when on the lookout for innocent objects for slaughter they remained as quiescent as the stones they had been running amongst and their black vests only catching my eye caused me to believe that what i saw was but a scattering of empty mussel shells on walking up to get a nearer look each supposed empty bivalve started into being and flew away in safety before i could recover from my surprise the most curious thing is that the gunner almost invariably starts to make examination without preparing for the surprise awaiting him one moonlight night i rode up to within a few yards of a large but scattered flock of curlews i knew there were curlews about but so quiet and immovable did they remain that i argued within myself as to whether or not they were stranded lumps of broken baskets and seaweed and just as it dawned upon me that they might be curlews with a startling clamour such as only frightened curlews can make every one of them took to wing and vanished into the night my friend Di, some years ago when he could see on a bright spring day observed three objects which he thought to be half bricks dropped in the mud he passed on and then curiosity tempted him to get a nearer view still half doubtful he fired at them when one of the red objects altered its position spreading its wings dead on the flat the other two flew away they were a trio of beautiful red knots in full nuptial attire the same illusion occurred in the case of a kingfisher that kept watchfully quiet on his coming he saw a streak of palest green among the hawthorn leaves reflecting themselves in a ditch and thought for the moment how odd it was that a bit of ribbon should have blown there instinctively or not the kingfisher profited by this colour protection for with a startled scream it took to flight and was lost at once among the branches of the old hawthorns the heron standing motionless in stiff angular attitudes with his plumes and apron fluttering in the breeze i have often imagined at first sight to be but a ragged basket fringed with debris of zostera or seaweed Braden was not silent there was a perfect melody of bird notes the widgeon out on the right tugging at the zostera called smeu smeu in a note not unpleasing to the ear 
i dare say that note unvarying as it is to the human ear meant more than a mutual reminder to make the most of the time before all the water had poured off the flats the black-headed gulls noisily yard to each other as they played around the edge of the channel up and down which at sun-up they started their breakfast patrol they are now busily engaged in prying into the lows or shallow pools left on the mud they know that at times there is quite a menagerie encaged there many a goby and gamorous and other crustacean sometimes shrimps and ditch prawns and juvenile shore crab nothing that can be swallowed comes amiss and if some stranded bread sodden and crumbling be left among the rubbish at the edge of the flat it is equally welcomed and as promptly disposed of half a dozen of these blackheads hardly correctly named for the hood assumed in spring is a warm dark brown mouse-coloured you might term it have just settled on the flat within a few yards of the houseboat they are evidently in search of nareeds those queer red mudworms that lie hidden near the surface and afford a never-failing supply to the thousands of small waders that call in spring to investigate their habits and habitations i have known a smart shower to lay bare these worms by thousands to the great joy of dunlins and ring plovers which in spite of the downfall hurry to and fro most diligently snapping them up these worms must be wonderfully easy of digestion for except during the short intervals for sleep mostly taken at low water and their pauses for a bath and a brush down afterwards these sandpipers seem to be ever hungry and often feeding a great wonder to me is how the supplies of worms are kept up what tons must have been devoured only since i first knew Braden. the black-headed gull in winter is a smart little fellow with his white head and distinctive ear spots which look inky black by comparison and his sealing wax red mandibles and feet of course you know him to be an adult if his tail be spotlessly white throughout and a youngster if it be barred with black across the end of it before spring comes the foundations of his hood so to speak run and working upwards meet overhead over the eyes too a dark band appears and then almost imperceptibly the brown patches blend into each other the last angular bit of white to give way being seen just above the base of the mandibles on boxing day eighteen ninety i saw one wholly hooded and observed another amongst a flock of variously speckled headed birds also hooded on december the twenty ninth nineteen o six in march the black-headed gulls leave Braden for their nesting quarters many visit scalton and nest there on a sedgy island in some numbers but all through the spring 
small parties return almost daily to feed and frolic on their favourite mud-flats. Turning our glasses onto the widgeon feeding by the duffel's flat, we become much interested in the adroit manner in which they dip, in turn, to get at the succulent stems of the grass. The upper portion dangles but a few moments from their mandibles, and is separated to float upon the surface, until a swathe of it lies there to be carried downstream after the next good tide. It is possible to judge whether mallard and duck have been feeding with the widgeon, either by day or night. Widgeon cut off the grass from below, and mostly devour only the lower portion, the stem. The others bite the fronds, devouring fragments a little over an inch in length. You can see small bits floating about. Widgeon will sometimes, when hungry, swallow stem and frond. They will eagerly eat, too, the dry, chaffy remnants of Salicornia herbacea, the jointed glasswort. In dissecting a duck last January, 1907, I found the crop full of pieces of it, reminding one forcibly of the sticks that sometimes float on the surface of one's tea. The flocks that collect here in springtime are often very numerous, varying in numbers almost daily, as contingents come and go, or alternate their nightly feeds with a siesta by day at sea when quiet is assured. On Braden, the widgeon delights to feed and make love, and petty quarrels sometimes take place among the drakes. They seem curiously human in some of the phases of their life. The drakes appear to me to be always in excess of the ducks. Sometimes a flock of 2,000 birds may be seen fussing about at one time. Such an assembly makes the quiet night weird by the smee-oo, with the oo prolonged a trifle at times, like the plaint of a dove, of the gallant drakes, and the queer little snappy responses from their females. Then the bibbling of their bills and the scrunching of the grass are distinctly heard across the water. In 1905, I saw three male widgeon on Braden as late as May the 13th. These birds afforded the old gunners much sport in the days before close seasons stayed their hand. Even in the early days of protection, there were still big bags made now and then, and the slaughtered birds were smuggled home by ways so devious and cunning that the perpetrators would have puzzled a preventive man, as their early forebears did the customs officers, when they hid their contraband in the then thickly reeded, but now barren lows and obliterated polk-holes, in a corner near which the moorhen lies in peaceful seclusion. But this no longer obtains, for our friend inside, now calling me to breakfast, is attentive to his duties. 
so the widgeon have a right royal time of it and amongst them in complete security and in perfect amity scarcer and even rarer fowl are to be found feeding and fraternizing such as pintail ducks shovelers teal and others not to mention the mallard and his sober-hued spouse some years ago when there was no law against it and consequently no real sinning fiddler goodens was paddling around after the widgeon when he saw a couple of weary avocets thigh deep in the water and probably floating he fired his big gun at them killing one and the other after hovering round its dead companion for some moments flew away towards a parcel of widgeon swimming in george's deke near which it settled at that period avocets had not such a high price placed upon their heads as they now have and widgeon were more saleable goodens thinking it would be safe to let the avocet alone a bit owing to its tameness decided to have first shot at the ducks but while he was deciding upon a method of procedure and ere he had laid his gun up they flew the avocet joining them and went right away to the northeast it is hoped to less inhospitable shores breakfast shouted jarry april is generally a pleasant month on Braden, for the days are lengthening and milder weather as a rule obtains but there comes occasionally the piercing northeaster from over the bleak north sea chilling and depressing one year as late as may the eleventh i was tarring the hull of the moorhen in the midst of a blinding snowstorm april is a month of no small interest to the naturalist for many migratory birds are changing their quarters making this eastern corner of the country a sort of halfway house and their appearance is too regular to surprise us some birds may be looked for almost to a day although their presence and their numbers may be regulated by winds and weather it seems to me that migratorial birds generally like to travel with a side wind a few are seen coming at times dead against it and if it is likely to be shortly coming forcefully behind them they will come on well ahead of it this occurs both in spring and autumn so far as my observation goes the swallows the black terns the swifts and the godwits with several others might make use of an avine timetable out bird watching a fine bracing morning tempts us to push off in the punt on the rising tide for an hour or two of loitering among the mudflats and helped by a steady breeze from the southeast the most favourable of all for seeing the spring migrants on the move away we go bowling along right merrily our punt is a double-ended boat decked on the forepeak 
a rail runs round the well in which we sit to row and there is a short decked in portion astern on either side are lockers for sundry naturalistic stores cord wadding specimen tins with a bottle of formalin and a shelf for the binoculars handy for one never knows what he may meet with eighteen feet overall with a beam of nearly four feet at its widest the flat bottom punt is just the vessel for exploring creek flat and salting the rower sits on a box seat and whoever adds himself to the crew sits on a low seat astern when the small tan sail goes up the stump of a mast the skipper sits aft holding sheet and tiller and the additional hand must sit squat on a cushion on the floor with his back to the mast alone the skipper crowds on all sail and flies along with mast at half a right angle to the great wonderment of the gaping saddleback gulls wakened from their doze by the side of the channel and putting up the gaunt herons that are abstractedly fishing at the entrances of the creeks or runs that here and there branch from the main drain to lose themselves among the flats the herons away yonder fishing low in the creeks only show their long lank necks above the level of the flat looking as odd as do isolated stalks of buttonless sprouts when one hurries past a garden they seem to know the old fiddle case which was the name given to my punt by some of the bradeners when first launched on braden a braden punt spells speed scant elbow room squatness and easy management one can bowl along with the tiller and sheet in one hand and focus his beloved zeisers in the other one comes too to see and not to be seen i may as well say here that the fiddle case was built to suit a naturalist and not for sporting consequently although more roomy it is not built on the graceful lines of those beautiful models used by artistic-minded sportsmen my friend mr albert beckett together with the late fielding harmer one of the bygone race of gentlemen punt gunners have brought the lines of this boat to perfection and compared with it punts i have seen at lynn and oldborough are the merest wash keelers now my visitor has settled himself and the captain is at the tiller for the fiddle case differs from all other punts in possessing a rudder the rest being guided by a sculling oar thrust through a fixed rollock placed far astern let us be off we are not many minutes in reaching the huge railway bridge that spans the entrance of braden and which causes wherrymen and yachting folk to sin more with their tongues than does any other obstacle in their tracks passing under it with plenty of room to spare we are almost at once abreast of the north wall drain stake number one adjoins it the drain makes a detour for nearly a mile 
running parallel to the walls and for a long way with the railway metals beside it sometimes the flats hereabouts are tenanted by a host of small waders which after a while pay little heed to the noisy locomotives gliding along beside the wall wildfowl do not stay long enough to get over their fright of them and the anathemas of the ancient race of punters who fished and shot here in the forties were long and deep i heard the echoes of them in the seventies and eighties when the old fellows in a reminiscent mood warmed up and waxed eloquent there was fairly deep water and fresh at the neap tides and there were reed beds down as far as the signal box in the long ago and there were wildfowl too they told me but we must describe braden as it is today end of section 7